Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Is everybody enjoying the 80s instead of the 100s today? A lot better. If you're watching online, you're probably watching from a very nice back porch. It's probably really cool today uh, compared to yesterday. Yesterday, I went out to mow uh, my lawn, and I told my wife, I said, this feels a lot like Florida. Like the, it was humid and hot, and it was hot early in the morning, and so I'm glad that it's uh, a little bit nicer today. Uh, if you're new, and I know we've had a lot of, uh, we have some several families on vacation this week, but we've had a lot of people that have been new over the past few months, and maybe for you, you're somebody that says, I- I'm not brand new, but I'm still kind of getting to know City Walk, and I'm trying to learn how to better get connected Well, one of the things I wanted to tell you about before we dive into James is once a month we do an event called Intro to City Walk, and it's just simply a lunch, about 30 minutes long. We provide childcare, and uh, it's a time where you get to hear a little bit about more about our church. You get to ask questions. You kind of get to learn why we do what we do. And so today is the day we actually do that. Today is the the day we do it in this month. And so about 10 minutes after the service. Over in the fellowship hall, uh, we'll have that. And so even if you didn't sign up, we'd love to have you over there. And I promise today is actually the day to go. And here's why. Because the guy that's teaching has to catch a flight at 150 today. That's what I've been told. And so he, I've been told he has to be out of here by noon. And so it's going to be a very succinct uh, intro to City Walk, and so today's the day to go. So lunch, babysitting, we'd love to have you just join us over in the fellowship hall right after the service. Uh, one of the things, whether you're watching online or, or you're here this morning, that you probably have been doing over the past few weeks, just like I have, is a lot of us have gone to uh, some some graduations over the past few weeks. And so, like in our family, we had an eighth grade graduation that we went to, and we're celebrating with a family member, and then we went to a high school graduation, and and went to several different parties and get-togethers, gained a couple pounds in the process, and and, and we went to those just like you did. You probably have been to some graduations, and, and whenever I go to a graduation, specifically a high school graduation, I automatically, and maybe you do the same thing, I think back to when there wasn't indoor plumbing and there was no electricity to when I graduated high school, like a long, long time ago. And and I think back, it's just just natural to, you go to a high school and you see kids graduate and you think, man, I remember all the way back in 1995 when I graduated high school. And I, I remember high school being, I was a kid that I wasn't terrible at school, but definitely wasn't a huge fan of schoolwork, which my grades showed. Uh, I was a big fan of my friends and playing sports, and I knew you had to do schoolwork to let those things happen, and so I I did the schoolwork. But there were definitely, and maybe you can relate with this, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, 
There were definitely some classes that I was awful at and I hated. And there were some other classes that I seemed to lean into, and, and you can probably relate. Whether, whether you know, different types of learners lean into different types of teachers and classes. And so there were. There were a few classes that I, man, leaned into. And then there were a few classes that, man, I just was not good at. And it just, it just the light bulbs just didn't come on. And for me, the type of classes that I leaned into were the type of classes where we talk through practical solutions to real problems, and you kind of got your hands dirty, kind of figuring those things out. I wasn't the type, and maybe this is the type of class that you like, I didn't do real well if it was just us, like let's sit down and listen to a lecture and talk philosophically about these issues. I like those practical classes where you could find real solutions and really kind of work through those. And that was kind of what I, kind of how I fit. And maybe for you, Maybe for you, you're like, man, a good hour and a half lecture on humanity, there's not a better day in school. And maybe that's you. you maybe you enjoy sitting down with your notebook and, and you enjoy talking about things from kind of a 30,000 foot level and kind of philosophically. And that for you is like, man, that's my jam. I love that. And even if that's the type of learner that you are, and I know some of you are, because I know some of you, that's the type of learner, that's the kind of type of classes that you would enjoy. Every single one of us understands the importance of finding real solutions to real problems, like practical solutions to real problems. And you, you know this, there's just some times in your life where you just don't have time to have a long discussion about something. You just want truth that's practical, that can help you with the issue that you're having. And there's, there's definitely times to talk philosophically and to go really deep, but, but you know there's certain times in your life where, man, you just don't have time for a real long conversation. The situation is, is challenging, and you're just looking for, hey, can somebody give me a real solution that's based on truth, that's practical, that I can kind of put into motion right now? And if that's the type of person that you are, then James is a writer that you will probably really lean into. And it's one of the reasons that we're spending the summer in the book of James, because James, who, who wrote this book, he, he was the brother of Jesus, and he wrote this book, and he is, as you, as you read through it and as we study through it, you'll find out that James, he's a straight shooter. He's a guy who doesn't use a lot of words to say something. He, he gets right to the point and talks about real solutions to the real problems that his readers were facing. And that's just the type of guy, probably if you sat down with James, and I obviously haven't because he lived 2,000 years ago, but I would guess James is probably the type of guy that you sit down and, and he's ready to get right to the point because that's just how he wrote. He, he wrote about real solutions to the problems and challenges that his readers, the people that were reading his letter, were facing. In fact, his, his letter, the letter that James wrote, is referred to by many as kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's the, it's the, he writes in a way where it's short, quick, like wisdom that you can really put into practice just like proverbs was and, and james and we looked last week he kind of starts his letter 
He, he starts his letter by introducing himself, and he starts this letter by talking about who he's writing to, and then immediately he jumps into the challenges that his readers are facing. And here's the thing. The challenges that James's readers were facing 2,000 years ago are the same challenges that we're facing. Like, you faced and I faced the same challenges that James is, we're going to talk about today, that he wrote to people 2,000 years ago. You and I faced the same challenges this week. Maybe today you might have faced some of the same challenges that he wrote about 2,000 years ago in the last few hours. Super practical. He could have written it today and it was, it was right, it would be right where we're at. And so he starts it this way. We looked at this verse last week. He starts in verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. James, he's, he's writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered throughout the, the world because of persecution. See, the, the work and the message of Jesus was kind of centered in Jerusalem. It was centered in Jerusalem, and, and it's kind of where it all got started. And so, man, Acts tells us, Luke, who wrote Acts, he says that, man, Jerusalem was crazy. Like when Jesus rose from the dead and, and the apostles went out on the streets and started telling people that, there were literal days where they saw thousands of people become followers of Christ. And so we're not talking about, hey, a little small group in a house. Like We're talking about turning the whole city upside down because thousands upon thousands of people are coming to follow Jesus all at once. And so after a little while, the, the government and the religious leaders that didn't like the message of Jesus, they were not, they, they were not liking what was happening. And so their goal was, man, we got to get rid of this. Is, this can't keep up. And so they began to persecute. They began to put in prison. They began to kill some. They began to, to physically persecute the people that were followers of Jesus. So much so that these people said, hey, we're, we, we can't stay in Jerusalem. We can't stay at the center of this thing. We've got to move to where it's safe. And so they did. They literally scattered around the world. And here's what's interesting. They scattered to places that didn't know a lot about Jesus. And so they scattered because of persecution, but part of the fruit of them scattering was that the message of Jesus started to go all over the world. And so James, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and now his congregation of thousands is literally all over the world. And he says, hey, I need to write a letter. I need to write a letter to address the real challenges that the people in my church, these followers of Jesus, they're facing. And so the message of Jesus spread, and James writes this letter. And after his brief introduction of, hey, my name's James, and I'm writing to the, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, he's like, let's get to it. And he starts in verse 2. He says this. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. This word consider means to evaluate or count it joy. And he, man, he couldn't just say joy, he had to say great joy. He said, like, great joy, consider it great joy whenever, not if, but when you experience various trials. So what is he talking about when he uses this word trials? 
Basically, what he's saying is when something breaks the pattern of peace in your life, when you are tested, consider it great joy. And here's what's interesting. This word joy is a word that gets kind of its, its weight from something that's going to happen in the future. He says, I want you to consider it great joy when you are tested, when peace is taken away from your life, when there's trials because of something in the future. It's more than the moment. The way I think about it is the thing that helped me understand it was think about when you exercise. So when you exercise, when you're in the, maybe you go to the weight room or maybe you go walking or you run or you get on a bike, whatever, however you do your exercise, when you're in there exercising, say you go to Planet Fitness and you're lifting weights, you're, you're sitting there with other people lifting weights and everybody is lifting and they're straining as they lift and you're sore and things are burning, but, but, but people are okay with that. They're, they're looking at me, a lot of them are looking at themselves in the mirror, lifting weights, man, feeling pain that if they felt that same pain at any other point in their life, they'd be like, what's wrong with me? But because they're, they're in the middle of this tough thing that really hurts, that causes discomfort, but they're totally okay with it because there's something in the future that it affects. And so they're, they're, they're able to feel that pain because there's something coming. And so they're like, yeah, I do this because of, I want to be healthy. I want to be stronger. And so in the midst of pain, they're able to be okay. And that's what, I mean, when, when James, he's not saying like, go have a party and like, it's happy, happy, happy when things get rough. He's just like, no, no, I want you to evaluate trials and tests that you go through. I want you to evaluate it through something that is coming, like something that God is using those trials to help you with. And he talks about it here in a second, something in the future. And he tells us why. Here's why I want you to consider it or evaluate your trials and tests with joy. He says this in verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When your faith is tested, when trials come in your life, it produces stamina spiritually. It produces endurance It produces that ability to persevere in the midst of tough times. And then he says this in verse 4. He says, and let endurance have its full effect. So endurance is the the first step. It, It starts with some stamina and some endurance. But let endurance have its full effect. There's more that comes, not just stamina and endurance. And he tells us, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And and here's what he's saying. So that you can be spiritually mature. So that you can be whole spiritually. He says, hey, the the trials, the tests that come into your life, that God allows or sometimes even initiates, those things are in your life for a purpose. And when you go through those things, I want you to look at them through the future, what they're going to do for you. And here's what they're going to do. He tells us, he says, they're going to give you endurance, perseverance. They're going to give you spiritual stamina. They're going to help you grow up spiritually and become spiritually mature. I don't know about you. I was talking with some friends last night about this, but there are certain people that are in my life that I just look up to because of their spiritual maturity. 
there's just a depth to them that that just that you just feel it like when you're in the room with them they're they're not trying to but it's just there's a depth to them there's a spiritual maturity to them there's a wisdom in just their normal way of life and what they say that man it's intriguing and it's something man i'd love to have but and you you have people like that in your life as well but there's no class I can take to get that. It's not like, hey, if you go take this four-week class, you're going to be just like them. If you will take this pill or you'll do this thing or you'll, you know, do this little, you know, five-week program, you're going to be spiritually mature. No. The reason they're spiritually mature, the reason I can't have what they have is because I haven't went through what they've went through. And some of these people that I look up to, the reason that they're spiritually mature is because literally they have been getting up in the morning for four or five decades and spending time with God. They have walked through ups and downs in life, and God has used that over decades to mature them. And that's what James is talking about. He says, these trials, these tests that you face, they are, they're part of the process of helping you grow up spiritually and be spiritually mature i mean there's a spiritual maturity that comes through through tests and trials that you just literally can't get any other way i was talking to somebody on our team this week and i said you know what i do i get i'm a little bit nervous of people that just have never had a hard time in their life like i don't think i'd want anybody on our team that has just always had an up and to the right life like everything's always been good everything's always grown it's all no because god uses tough times and trials and tests to mature and there's just there's no there's no other thing that you can do that gets you what that gets you and that's what that's what james is saying he's saying hey i know you're scattered you're scattered all over the world you've been persecuted some of you know people that have been killed for following jesus you've been hurt and he tries to tell him but man this trial, this test, the things that you're going through, they're not purposelessness. There's, no, there's purpose to them. And the purpose is that you would be spiritually mature and whole. But then he goes on. In the context of that, he says this. Because here's this next thing. It's like, I'm glad he said this because we need this. He says this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, and it's like every hand goes up, like for sure. Yes, I lack wisdom. And when he talks about wisdom, this word wisdom is not intellectual. There's, in the Bible, not always, but a lot of times in the Bible, where when it uses the word knowledge, it's usually talking about kind of intellectual head knowledge, things you believe, all important. You've got to have knowledge. Usually when it talks about wisdom, it is the, hey, how do I take what I know, that information, that knowledge, and how do I practically live that out in my life? How do I apply it? James, I know, I know that trials are good. I know that trials mature me. I know that intellectually I need wisdom to like live it out because uh, it's hard to live out joy in the midst of trials. I know that intellectually, but I just need a little help. To live that out he says if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you he says man if you're if you lack that practical skill for living that taking what you know and putting it into practice if you lack that 
You just got to ask God for it. Because God, he, he doesn't skimp when you ask. He's not upset at you. He doesn't want to make you feel bad for asking for more. He's ready to give it to you. If you uh, about Probably about a year ago or so, uh, my son Austin and I were, we, we talk about food a lot, uh, he and I do, but, but he was telling me about a Brazilian steakhouse that he had been to. And so I had been to one a long time ago in Vermont that I think was like a JV version because it was okay, but it wasn't great. Uh, but he was telling me about one. And so I, about eh, four or five, this fall sometime, I got an opportunity to go to one. And if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse, it's almost like church. It's not quite, not, not really. Don't think I'm like heretical, but, but it is a special place. It is a really good place. Uh, and and it, what they do is you have, and I love it, like you're in charge. You have a little thing, like a little, you like about the size of a, a coaster that says, and it says different things, but basically keep bringing me meat or stop. And you just turn it and they just, and well, I love it. You're, you're sitting there and it's like, Filet mignon from this side, tri-tip from this side, guy coming over your head, and they're just cutting it and putting it there, and they just keep coming. And, and when I think about, again, I'm a guy, I relate everything to food or sports, and so when I think about, about God and wisdom, I think of Brazilian steakhouse. And, and you've been to some restaurants where you ask for something, and you're like, they're definitely spitting in my food for me asking for a second glass of water. And they make you feel bad for even asking for something little. But not at a Brazilian steakhouse, not the one I went to. They were just, I mean, just dudes with things of meat all around me, just cutting and going. It was awesome. And this is God. He's saying, hey, I've got all kind of wisdom. You're going through things. You need practical. You got a lot of head knowledge, but you need some practical skills to use that. I've got all that for you. I'm not going to skimp on it. I'm not going to make you feel bad for asking for it. You just got to ask for it, and it's yours. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and it will be given. And that's what these people needed. They needed God's help to apply what they knew to real life. And, and let's go forward 2,000 years. We believe a lot of things intellectually that we struggle to live out. In fact, for a lot of you, you never come to church and hear something you didn't already know. Really? I mean, maybe once in a while, it's, oh, I didn't know that word meant exactly that. But, but most of the big topics we talk about, did anybody not know that you're supposed to love your wife? Uh, anybody not know that you're not supposed to steal? I mean, it's like, these are things that we know, of course. But man, there's, it's, it's a difference between knowing it in my head and actually living it out. And that's what James is talking about. But, but then he kind of gives a stipulation. He's like, all the wisdom's ready, man. The guys with the stake are ready to give it to you. But there is a stipulation, and he says this. But let him ask in faith without doubting. He's saying without going back and forth between belief and unbelief. He says, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Kind of that unsettled feeling. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded, divided in their loyalty. That person is unstable in all his ways. See, James just says, hey, God has a storehouse. He has a storehouse of wisdom that he wants to give us. 
And this wisdom will, among other things, help us walk through and and make the most out of trials and tests and kind of the tough times, the challenges. But the prerequisite for gaining this wisdom that, that, man, he has all of it for you is is there's a few things. you got to ask for it. you got to ask him for it. And when you ask for it, you're asking because you need it. You are saying, I'm dependent on you, God. You've got to ask for it. He's not just going to give it to you. He's got to ask for it. But then the second stipulation is this. You've got to use it. I mean, think about it. Who wants to give someone something that is extremely valuable if you know they're going to waste it? Like how many, how many people are you like, hey, let me give you something that is extremely valuable and price, I mean, just it's priceless, it's, it's special, and I'm going to give it to you so you can go throw it in the dumpster. Like we just don't do that. And God says, man, if, if I'm going to give you this wisdom, you have to, like, you have to believe that this is the way. Like, I'm not giving you this wisdom as an option amongst your other options. I'm giving you this wisdom as a solution. Sometimes we ask God, God, oh, I definitely want to get God. Like, God's one of the five people around the board table. Like, I want to get everybody's opinion and kind of just see how everybody's opinion stacks up. God, can you go ahead and let's let's hear what you have to say on this one. And, and, And James is like, you can do that, but God's going to be quiet. Because God's not giving you wisdom as an option. If you want his wisdom, part of you wanting his wisdom is saying, God, yes. Before you tell me, yes. Your way is best. What you tell me is good. Yes. I'm already saying yes before I even hear the wisdom. Your way is best. Give me your wisdom. In the, in the church world, we, we have a tendency. I hope you've never done this, but I mean, we probably all have. Church people have a tendency to use the I prayed about it and felt peace as their justification for doing things that God makes clear are wrong. I mean, I hear that stuff as a pastor. Well, I, just, I prayed about it. I just felt this peace inside. I'm like, I don't know what you felt inside, but it wasn't God's peace. Well, I mean, you might have felt something. might have been the pizza you ate. might have been the wine you drank. I don't know what you felt. But it wasn't God, because when you ask God, God's not going to give you wisdom if you're not going to do what he says, because he, he has your best interest in mind. He has your best, he knows your best and he has your best interest in mind. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you wisdom. And this wisdom is what is best for you. It's what's best for the world. But you got to ask for it. And when I give it to you, I'm giving it to you as your solution, not as your option." you got to put your yes on the table, and I'll give you as much as you want. And then what, what James does in, in verse, if you move forward to verse 12, he's talked about trials and how trials are purposeful, and, and they do things. They bring maturity, and, and how, man, that God pro- will provide wisdom to practically walk through this. But then in verse 12, he kind of he broadens the perspective, and he says, hey, let me, let me give you the, the longer view on these trials. He says this in verse 12. He says, blessed, and, and that basically word means happy. Happy is the one who endures trials. Really, James? I mean, okay. And then he says, because. He tells us why. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
The crown, it could say the crown which is life. The crown which is eternal life. See, the crown he's talking about was, and you've got to think back 2,000 years ago. When we do athletics, we usually put a medal or a trophy, you know, ribbon. That's what you get. Well, back then, in the Greek games, somebody that won, the, kind of the victor, there was a wreath that was put on their head. It was just kind of their award, one of their things that they got if they won. And so this is what he's, he's thinking. He's thinking, hey, if you, if you endure these trials, if you make the most of these, He's saying basically what it shows, it shows that you are a follower of Jesus and the end of this thing for you is eternal life with Jesus. You, you're, that crown which is life. It's, it's a lot bigger than this momentary feeling and this momentary test and this momentary challenge. It, it, it matures you spiritually for the long haul, but also when you endure trials God's way, it shows that you are God's kid. Like, like when you do it God's way, it's, it's just another fruit that, you know what, this is someone who's a follower of Jesus, and the end of that road is the crown, which is eternal life. It's eternal life in heaven. See, but, but here's the thing, and, and you've, you've seen this. If you look in Scripture, one of the things I love about Scripture is Scripture is not full of perfect people. In fact, actually, most of the people in Scripture, Scripture is really honest about their imperfections. Pretty much everybody. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of heroes in Scripture that never made us, you know, had a stupid attack or did something wrong. And some of them, man, they royally messed up. And so it's not a, not a book about person, but, but there are definitely people in Scripture, imperfect people that, that God uses as examples that face different tests or different trials. And as you watch their story through Scripture, you can see how God used those trials that, man, they probably would have traded in a moment. But God used those trials to mature them, to help them. People like Abraham. I mean, Abraham in Genesis 22, man, he's walking his son up on a mountain to kill him. Like, what the heck are you? God, you told, why'd you tell me this? I'm sure he would have, even though at the end, he, he, you know, we know the end of the story and he didn't, his son didn't die and all that. But I'm sure walking up that mountain, you're like, God, really? Is there another way we could get this done? Somebody like Joseph. Yeah, the end of Joseph's story is great, but man... There was about a decade of Joseph's life that was awful. It was, man, he was probably questioning God on a regular basis. Like he was in tough spots that, man, he didn't do anything from our perspective to deserve. He actually did the right thing and he ended up in, in getting punished for it. You have people like Esther, people like Ruth, Moses, and the list goes on of people that there were different trials and there were different tests. That, that were tough, but God used them to mature them, and God used those trials to help other people. But then there's also people in the scriptures, and we can relate to these people too, that, man, didn't handle trials well. And instead of, you know, seeing trials through the perspective of God, they actually, man, went the wrong way. And we're all tempted to do that because with a, a trial and with a test, there's also temptation that comes. And James talks about that. He says this in verse 13. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say, 
I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Like, well, James, what are you, what are you saying? Here's what, here's what he's saying. You know what? God, God tests his children. Like you read through the Old Testament. Abraham's a perfect example. God, on purpose, puts things in people's lives to test them, to grow them, to mature them. That's part, that's, God does that. If, if we don't like it, you can take it up with God later, but that's just part of it. But, but here's what James is saying. Yeah, God tests. He, he allows trials as part of the maturing process, but he doesn't tempt us to do evil. During trials that God allows or even initiates, temptation can come, but God is not the author of that temptation. And that's what, that's what James, he, he didn't want people that he was writing to, to basically start blaming God. Like, yeah, you're going through a hard time and God's using that hard time to mature you and make you more like his son, Jesus. But man, in the midst of that hard time, you're tempted to go different directions and try to do things that aren't God's best. And don't blame God for those things. He's saying that God's not tempting you to do that. He says this in verse 14. He says, let me tell you about what's really happening in your heart. He says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. It's this picture, and, and we have some hunters in the room. We have people that like fishing. It's this, this picture of wild game being lured into a trap or a fish moving towards, towards the bait on a hook. Temptation promises something good, but instead it brings harm. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, you know, God's not the one that tempts you. He, he may allow that trial. He may allow that test. He may even initiate it to help you mature. But in the middle of that tough time, you're going to be, there's temptation could come. And that temptation's not from God. Actually, that temptation is from you. It's from your desires, where you in your evil desires, just like a fish is tempted to go towards the bait. It's what we do. And he goes on, he says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, sin, he says, it's not a, not a spontaneous act. It starts at the desire level. It starts in the heart. And then it gives birth to death. And, and here's the thing that, that you know and I know. Sin always kills. Always. It kills relationships, kills potential. It does kill people in some cases. It kills families. It kills businesses. It kills legacies. And, and James is saying, hey, I, I just love it. He's just straightforward. He says, in the midst of these trials that are maturing you, there may be some temptation to go different directions. But no, that temptation isn't from God, and it doesn't end well. Just, just know it, he says. It, it, stuff dies, stuff is killed. And so he says this in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Man, don't be deceived and make excuses or start blaming God. Don't be deceived. He says every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, you know what? Sin does bring, it kills, it brings destruction. But God, in his way, result in good gifts. And sometimes those good gifts are wrapped in trials. 
They're wrapped in tests. They're wrapped in some tough things. But they're good gifts from God. What Satan wants to do in the midst of of God maturing us is he wants to help us to take our eyes off of God and say, hey, let me get out of this, get out from under this tough time and let me get out of it, maybe in a way that doesn't please God. And and James is saying this, that doesn't end well. It doesn't, doesn't help. And then he ends the section in verse 18. He says this. He he talks about the greatest, really the greatest gift that God's given us. He says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Like his greatest gift is is birth to us. It's it's salvation. And and, and James, he he ends the section like this. And, And here's what's interesting. This, the words that James says, and this is in anything that you read from any author, it takes on different weight based on who writes it. Like d- different people write, like for me, when I listen to an audiobook, it's just different when the author reads it. I, I just lean in more. I don't know. And it's, I just, it just, when you hear somebody, you know their story, it's just different. And James, his story and really who he is to me makes his words more weighty. Just his personal story. Because, and we talked about this last week, James was a skeptic of Jesus. I mean, for for a lot of years, really for most of Jesus' life on earth, James did not buy it. He did not believe. And it wasn't until after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and then he appeared to James that everything changed. It It was at that point that James went from skeptic to servant of God. And, and now he's, he's in a spot where 15 to 20 years later, after Jesus has appeared to him, after Jesus died, he's about 15 to 20 years later. Now he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter. And he's writing this letter to people that are scattered all over the world. And he's writing it because he, he wants to give them what they need. He knows what they're going through. And his story is, is so important to this because for so long he didn't believe. And, and the theme of, of these first few paragraphs is, hey, believe God. Believe God and it will lead to spiritual maturity. Believe God and it will grow you. And because of who it's coming from, man, you, you know there's some weight to this because he's like, man, I didn't for a long time. But because of what Jesus did. Now, man, he's passionately like, in the midst of your tough times, believe God. If you will believe God, it will lead to spiritual maturity. It will lead to helping you grow up. Which leads us to a question I want to use just to kind of close up. Basic question. But be honest. Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to grow up spiritually? James is, this whole kind of section, really, if you were to theme the whole book out, he's, he talks about spiritual maturity, and that's kind of the theme of the thing. And, and he's, his, his thing is, hey, if you'll believe God, you'll believe God, you'll you believe God's way is best, it's going to help you, you're going to grow spiritually. But, but that's the question, man. You, like, do you want to grow up? Do I? I mean, there's a lot of people that say they're followers of Jesus that are very content, like being in the nursery for decades. Just, you know what, I'm, I'm content wearing a diaper and being a baby. 
Christian, just never really taking steps to grow. And whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're somebody that's still investigating faith like James did, the solution to this spiritual maturity and growing up is, is just simply believing God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it starts with believing the gospel. Say, Chris, what's the gospel? It's the message that Jesus came, lived a sinless life. At the age of 33, he was taken and, and taken to a cross. He gave his life, shed his blood willingly. They put his body in a grave. He rose from that grave, and that death and resurrection was for us. Because the good news is, I was the one that should have been on the cross. You were the one that should have been on the cross. But Jesus said, I will take their place. I will pay for their sin. And so for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're watching online, the first thing you want to believe is believe that message. Believe the good news. And ask Jesus, hey, I believe that, and man, I want a relationship with you based on what you did for me, Jesus. But once we're a follower of Christ, we, we, should, we, we grow. We start as a spiritual baby, but then we grow to be spiritually mature by believing God. And James, he's given us just a few things, just real simple things that we need to believe. Just in the first few paragraphs. One of the things that, that he gives us is that believe that God has a purpose for your pain. And when we, like, this is one of the things he says, hey, this is one of the things you can believe that will help you mature, help you grow up spiritually. It will help you face trials differently and test differently when you know there's purpose and God has purpose for your trials. Another thing he, he talks about that we can believe is believe that sin is a problem of my heart. It's not a, a lot of times in our, our, our life, we, we want to blame sin on God or somebody else. And it's, and James says, he, he makes it real clear, like, don't blame God. It starts in your heart. Own it and gain victory over it. But again, it's, do we believe God? This is a, right here, just, just this one. Just think about this one. Like, do you really believe that? Or do you find yourself, maybe you're online, do you find yourself whenever there's a situation in your life that's not going well, you are, are you quick to find somebody else to put it on? Like, eh. You're, and it's really a, a, something in your heart. Believe, another thing he talks about, believe that God's gifts are good. And, and when we believe that, we live with gratitude. We, we, we live with contentment. When we know like, hey, what God has put in my life, this is what he says is good for me. Not, not what my neighbor has, not what, no, but God, when God gives, he, he gives good gifts to his kids. And they don't always look the way we want them, but they're good from his perspective, which is the right perspective. So let's, let's go back to that question. Do you want to grow up spiritually? Uh, another way to say it is, hey, do you want to look more like Jesus? Because that's really what growing up spiritually means. And if not, no sweat. I, I appreciate you being honest. If it, in your heart, you're like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm good. Uh, I think I'm good. I, I'm, I don't really have a desire to take steps forward in my walk with Jesus. I, I don't maturity in that. That's just not something I'm at this point in my life, life interested in. Thank you for being honest. 
But if you would say, yeah, man, I, I, I want to grow spiritually. I, I want to look more like Jesus. Then, then let me ask you this. What practical step can you take this week to grow in your belief in God? Like, let's, let's take it out of like philosophical world and let's think about this week. Let's think about tomorrow morning when you wake up to go to work. Let's think about when you get on the plane to go on vacation. Let's, what, what practical thing can you do this week to help you believe God? For some, it might be believe the gospel. Man, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And okay, so for me, man, I, I need to take that step and follow Jesus. For some, it might be, hey, set aside time to spend in God's word, to spend with him. We're reading through the book of James this summer, and this next week, this is the passage that we're encouraging everybody to, to kind of read through. And maybe that's for you. That's like, hey, for you to, to believe God at a greater level, you got to know God better. And so you're saying, hey, I want to spend some more time with him. Maybe for you, a step is, hey, I'm going to begin looking for God's purpose in my trials. You're going through something in life, and, and, and if you're honest, you're like, man, I just have had a terrible attitude about it, but this week, I'm going to ask God to help me start to see if he might have a plan or what his purpose is in my trials. Maybe it's for you. It's, man, stop. You, this is the week you're going to just stop making excuses for your sin. You're just going to stop blaming. You're going to say, hey, it's, it's my issue. It's my heart. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's another practical step. But if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, it comes down to believing God. And, and we have to take practical steps to help us with that. And so for you, what's it going to look like this week? If you're online, you're listening to a podcast, what does it look like this week? To become more like Jesus. See, God wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to help you and I grow spiritually. But he, he, he's just kind of waiting for us to say, I'm in, yes. And, and what's good is, what's great is it not only does it help us, but it brings him glory. And so if we don't want a full spiritual nursery with a bunch of people that have been following Jesus for decades that are still in diapers, we've got to commit to, you know what? I'm going to take practical steps to believe God. I'm going to take practical steps to own my sin and ask him to help me. I'm going to take practical steps when I'm going through something to ask God for wisdom, not as an option, but as a solution. Because his way is best. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for James chapter 1. And Lord, I, I'm so thankful that though this was written a, a few thousand years ago to people that lived on the other side of the world, this is a letter that is extremely applicable to us. Uh, it's a letter that uh, we can relate to. Every single one of us this week, it might be a small thing, it might be a big thing, but every one of us has faced challenges we face trials. We face tests. There's some people in the room that, man, they're going through a really big trial. And God, it, it's so easy. And I, I'm, I'm, I so want to, when I'm facing something that's hard, I just want to get out from under it and move forward past it. 
But God, I pray that you would help us to see your purpose in our trials. And Lord, that we would not try to find the quickest way out of it, but that we would look to you and see what you want to do in our life. And Lord, it comes down to believing you. And so God, I pray that this week that we would take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to believe you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I had a a pastor friend of mine that said to me, he said, you know what? Satan doesn't care if God speaks to you. He's not too worried about that. He doesn't even care if you know what what God said. He doesn't even care. He doesn't care if if God speaks to you. He doesn't care if if you know and, and understand what he said to you. What he cares about is if you actually do something with it. And so my question for you is, what did God say to you today? And if he didn't say, don't make up something. What did he say? And are you willing to take a step and do it? God, I pray that we would be obedient to whatever you've told us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.